And as we, uh, as we turn to God's word, and this is what he tells us, this is, this is truth, this is light, this is our hope, I just invite you to turn with me to the gospel of Matthew, Matthew 14. We're going to hear this, and I pray it'll speak to our condition and speak to our hearts and reveal what God wants to say to us today. As we prepare to receive this, would you pray this simple prayer with me? Lord, this is your word to me today. Let it be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Help me to hide this word in my heart that I might not sin against you. May I pray it in, read it through, live it out, and pass it on. Amen. Amen. Here beginning with verse 22. Hear God's word for us this morning. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, you truly are the Son of God. May God add his blessing to that word. Please be seated. I was reading a pastor's blog where he was referring to an article, and he was, basically the article that he was referring to asked this question, why do we watch the movies we watch? Why do we choose to enjoy certain movies and maybe not so much others? Well, the article suggested that one of the reasons we choose the movies we choose is we are in fact trying to escape the reality that we find ourselves in. Let me give you a couple of examples here. So a couple living with some relationship problems might choose to go to a romantic comedy so that they can laugh at other couples who are having problems. This article went on to suggest that people are often drawn to horror movies because their lives are miserable and they somehow feel better about watching other people who are in a more miserable state than themselves. That's interesting to me. The article then explained that women will often go to see romantic movies with other women instead of their husbands because they're trying to escape the current reality of their situation. That husband who's at home, who snores at night, slurps his cereal, you know, just kind of has that annoying laugh. And so it made me think, you know, we choose to watch certain movies because we are, are trying to escape what might be at home. But it's not surprising to me then that one of the most popular genres of movies is action adventure. 
as we try to escape what can be a very, let's face it, very mundane, almost boring routine. We go to the action-adventure movie and we're inspired by the character who most often is a very ordinary person, like you, like me. But they're called to an extraordinary courage and, and to make a difference in the world, to save the day, to be the hero. Maybe I'm dating myself here, but the image I get in my mind is Mall Cop. You've seen that movie? Or one of our favorites is uh, uh, the uh, uh, Nacho Libre, you know, the, the little monk there that, that captures a, a view of himself. Today, you might be watching Spider-Man, that, 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 that teenager who, who suddenly realizes he has an extraordinary opportunity and power. But after the movie is over, the credits roll, and we head back to reality. When the, the movie is over, the credits are rolling, the lights come up, and we do what? We, we pick up our popcorn and bucket and, and we make sure we didn't leave a mess and we, we look at the seat to make sure we've got our wallet and our phone and then we head out. We put the bucket into the trash, we, we go outside, we get into our very average car, we, we make sure the seat belt is on and maybe just for a little thrill we turn up uh, 95.5 the fish a little higher on the volume dial as we head home just because our lives are, are, are rather routine, aren't they? They're, they're pretty predictable. I, I don't know very many people who would describe their lives as an adventure. Maybe some drama, probably some comedy, hopefully a little romance along the way, but, but certainly not much action. I mean, the truth is, if we were honest this morning, we'd try to avoid the action, the adventure, the risks. Fact is, most of our lives, if, if our lives were turned into a movie, when the reviews came in, what would they say? Boring and predictable, right? That's, that's kind of where we, we line up. But let me ask you this morning, what if God calls us to more than that? If, if you study the scriptures, and I know you do, you're going to find that Every person that ever was called by God to make a significant difference in their world was always called upon to take a risk. Somewhere along the way, when you decide to follow God, when you become a part of his family, they are put in a position where their stomach is in knots, their palms are sweaty, their mouth is dry, and there is no guarantee that they're going to get out of this just fine. And that's going to happen to us when we realize that God does not always call us to play it safe. Courage is not a quality that is just reserved for the rock. We may never scale a building or cry out freedom like William Wallace, but I do believe this, that one of the things that we can expect to happen in our lives as part of God's family is he will call us to be courageous. He will call us to have courage. And I believe with all my heart, the world is yearning for courageous Christians today. Now, as we examine this passage, I find it interesting that Matthew chooses to tell us this. It says that Jesus immediately made the disciples get into the boat. Now, does that strike anyone as a little bit odd? Did, did you hear the phrasing there? 
It's kind of an odd way to put it. That word made, Jesus made them get into the boat. That, that is kind of a, an odd word. In fact, I looked it up. That word could be translated as forced. Jesus forced them to get into the boat. So there is this very real sense that maybe the disciples were not too keen on this idea. You, you get the picture. It's late in the day. Several of them are fishermen. They know what to expect. They can, they can tell the weather. They've been watching WKYC all weather report all week, waiting for this big storm to come in. They know what's going to be brewing, and so they don't want to do this. What's more, apparently, Jesus isn't coming with them. They want to stay on the shore where, where it's safe. They want to stay on shore with the people and with Jesus. And yet what we read here is that Jesus makes them get into the boat and go to the other side. I want you to think about that with me. I think that surprises some people who choose to follow Christ. In, in our thinking, very often we think, hey, you know, if I become a follower of Jesus, that means I get to avoid the storms of life. I, I, I won't be uncomfortable because Jesus is right there. Jesus is going to take care of me. Jesus is going to make it smooth sailing. Well, of course, if you've walked with Jesus for a very long, if you've been a part of his family, you know that that's a lie. That's not the way the world works. That's not the way the kingdom works. That just, in fact, doesn't lie, uh, line up with the way we, what the uh, stories of Scripture suggest and what we've seen down through Christian history. In fact, the truth is, isn't it, that around this room, we could stand up and give testimony after testimony how Jesus made you face a storm. You didn't want to go there. You didn't feel like you needed it. You really didn't want to be there, but you didn't have a choice. And there are those moments of difficulty where you were forced to face your fear, and you had to depend on your faith. And Jesus knows Jesus knows, however, if you are going to have a chance of making a difference in this world, these disciples are going to, to change the world around them and bring others into the family of God. They must learn to have courage to face their fear. Now, friends, we see all kinds of examples of this in Scripture. Think about Abraham. Remember when Abraham was young and God calls him and says, Abraham, I want you to go. I'm not going to tell you where you're going. You just go and I'll tell you when you get there. Don't you think Abraham got a little nervous as he's packing and as he's getting ready in the night before? And I doubt he slept very much as he heads out. Where in the world am I going, God? Or, or think about Moses as he stands before Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the most powerful man on the planet Moses stands before him and says, let my people go. Wouldn't you guess that in that moment, Moses was nervous? His stomach was in knots. His mouth was dry. He stuttered as he said those words, let my people go. It's David as he walks into the camp of Israel's army. And suddenly he hears the Philistine giant, the warrior, crying out against God, defaming his name. And David realizes that something rises up within him. He's nervous, I'm sure, when he says, somebody has to do something about it. Give me a stone. Let me go out and slaughter the giant. My guess is 
he was not, he was quite a bit nervous. I think about Esther. I think about Esther as she decides to walk into that throne room. And she knows with just a simple motion, the king can have her killed. But she stands there and she waits and she says to the king to spare the lives of her people. She faced her fears with faith. But you know, when it comes to us, when it comes to you, when it comes to me, let's be frank, we have this temptation. Instead of boldly facing our fear, what do we do? We avoid it. And we avoid and we procrastinate its cousin. Let me just give you an example. I, I talk to people all the time in our church about why they don't join the church. And you know what they say to me time and time again? This is the number one answer. And you probably already know the answer because you probably told me this answer, okay? <laughs> and and you, you know the answer again, but people will say, Pastor, I don't want to join the church because you're going to make me go up front in front of everybody. And you might make me say something. Now, now, first off, I want you to know I'm not a dictator here, and I'm not going to make anybody do anything. Now, Jesus might make you. He could do that. He made him get into the boat, but not me. Dawn was scared to death when she came up here this morning and did our announcements. She likes to be in the back, she doesn't, but, but she took it. She was bold. She came up here. I remember this, that Jesus at one point said, listen, if you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before them. And I can think of no better place to acknowledge him than to come in front of God's people, in front of the people who love you and care about you and will rejoice at the fact that you say, I want to be a part of this family and say, I belong to Christ and follow Jesus as my Lord, then right here in the church. And if you can't do that here, then how are you ever going to give witness and testimony outside of this place? Be courage, courageous. I, uh, I love the story. I haven't told it for a few years, but I remember the story of my nephew, Alec. Alex is just uh, four years old at the time. He was four years old. And he had uh, exactly one line in the Christmas play at, North Holmes, or, uh, at uh, Fulton Creek Friends Church, the church where I grew up. He had one line. Four years old, and he couldn't wait. He was so excited to have this line. He was going to grandma and grandpa and his aunts and uncles and saying, you got to come to this play. You got to come and see the musical. I've got a line. I want you to hear me say my part. He was so excited about this part. Now, the problem was he was too young to know exactly when he was to say the part. So his job was simply to watch the director for the cue. And when he was cued, that was the point he was to say his line. Well, of course, he's in the play, it's going well, everybody's there, it's a beautiful night, Christmas is in the air, he's all geared up, he's practiced and practiced, he's ready. Grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles are there just to hear him say his line. But at just the time that his part is about to come up, one of the girls cuts in, interjects, and in fact, skips over his part. So the play goes on, the music, the story, and Alex never got to say his line. 
Of course, mommy's sitting there, and she's about ready to tear up. She's getting all nervous. She's thinking, man, Alex is going to be so disappointed. At this point, however, he's clueless. After all, he didn't get the cue. He didn't get the cue from the director. He doesn't realize what has happened. And so as the musical is wrapping up this marvelous festival, instead of finishing with a prayer, this musical is wrapping up. Alex, uh, the, uh, the, the, the play is over, the music is played, it's almost done, and then the director suddenly realizes what has happened, and she gives him the cue. Because, I mean, he's going to say his line. And he shouts out at, this wonder, at the end of this wonderful celebration with confidence and conviction these words. Never underestimate the power of pasta. <laughs> and he's tickled pink. And mommy is so proud. And aunts and uncles and grandfathers and everybody know what's going on. Now... I don't know what pasta had to do with Christmas at all, but I do know this, that that line at the end of the production, he wanted to say his part, and I think the Lord must be smiling when someone is not afraid to do their part. You know, I, I love the fact that my nephew Alex has a really sweet heart for Jesus, and I, he's, a, he's in middle school now, so it was a number of years ago, but I believe, in fact, that, and I think about Bruce, uh, he's one of those guys that I would not be surprised is called in to full-time ministry. Now, what we see in this passage is that Jesus, after he sends out the disciples, he goes up onto the mountain to pray. And if you ever study the life of Jesus, you realize this was a regular pattern. He, he would often steal away some time just to be with his father. It gets late. In fact, the scripture says it was the fourth watch. It's somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Mark actually says that Jesus sees the disciples from the mountain where he is praying. At some point, however, Jesus heads out to apparently join the disciples. They're having a difficult time because of the wind and the storm. It's fighting against them. And so Jesus makes his way out to them. And we kind of miss this, but Jesus just walks on the water. He's walking out to them. And suddenly they see him. They see his shadow. I'm not talking about groundhog here. I guess I, that, that, shouldn't, that was what came into my brain there. But mysteriously, they see, they see this, this figure. And they do what you do. They're terrified. They think he's a ghost. But Jesus says these words, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water. And this is what Jesus says, he simply says, come. Now I find that very interesting. At that point, Peter has a decision to make, doesn't he? When Jesus says to come, Peter has a decision whether or not to believe him, whether or not to have courage. But this is what I never really thought about, never really realized. Peter asked Jesus to call him. How many of us in this room 
have ever prayed, Jesus, call me out. And then let me take it a step further. Have you ever prayed a prayer? Lord, use me. Lord, use me. But the problem often is this. This is where we get stuck. When Jesus responds, he says, okay, come. We have a decision to make. Lord, use me. But you want me to teach Sunday school? Lord, use me. You want me to work in the nursery? Lord, use me. You want me to give how much? Lord, use me. And God says, come, come. And at that point, every one of us has a decision to make. I wonder how long it took Peter to get out of the boat. God says, come. God calls, but we try to convince ourselves, okay, Lord, I'm on my way. But we, uh, but we are delayed. We think, man, I gotta get my scuba gear on or I gotta practice my swimming or, you know, and, and we delay it. We wonder if we can do it. We're not exactly saying no. We just have not yet said yes. We're in the middle. By, by show of hands, how many of you consider yourself to be indecisive? Okay, I see those hands. Now, now the truth is, you're not the ones I'm worried about. You decided to raise your hand. But I'm, I'm really talking to those who, well, am I indecisive or not? You know, and you <laughs> couldn't, quite, couldn't quite figure it out. That's the people I'm talking to this morning. You're indecisive, yet courage, listen, courage requires us to make a decision when God calls us that we say yes. And by the way, you will never take all the risk out of it. John Ortberg wrote, faith is intimately connected with risk, and you cannot have faith if you do not have risk. My friends, I believe this. As we go into this new year, I am asking myself, God, how are you calling me to step out? And I'm asking you to ask the same question. How is God calling you to step out? And maybe you're a bit scared about what he says. Maybe it's a little hard to imagine going out onto that water, but you're hearing him and you're sensing it in your spirit and he's calling you to put one leg out and take one step and then another and just see. Yes, it takes courage, but let me ask it this way. What would you do for God if you weren't afraid? What is God calling you to do this year to step out of your boat? I don't know the answer for, your, for you, but I'd like you to wrestle with that question. And I'd love to hear your response to that. What do you sense God is calling you to do, and what would you do if you weren't afraid? You know, for that mom who steps out of the boat and she quits her job so she could stay home with her kids, it takes courage. Or for that business owner who signed a contract 
and chooses to honor that contract even though he realizes it's going to, to cause him or her to lose money as a result, but his integrity's on the line and he says it's the right thing to do. That takes courage. It takes courage to be generous when finances are tight. It takes courage to, to be the type of people who will forgive when you've suffered abuse by your dad or so much criticism by your mom. It takes courage, doesn't it, to say, I've got a problem. It takes even more courage to say, I need help with my problem. And step out and seek that support and seek to recovery. It, it, it takes courage to walk down the aisle of a church and say, I need Jesus. I want him to be the savior of my life. It takes courage to rededicate your life and say, you know what? I, I've gotten off track. I need to, to get back on track with Christ. It takes courage to say, God has called me into ministry and I'm going to step out and I don't know what it'll look like. I don't know where it'll cost me. You know, this is why I love Dave Hubler's story and he won't tell it, so I tell it often. But Dave was a vice president. He was making a lot more money. He took half of his salary to come to our church to minister and then he's been here with us for three years and now we've sent him out west to serve I know he's scared. I know we're scared. I don't know what the end result is. But why? Because God said, take the next step. And he's willing to trust him. Friend, where is God calling you to get out of the boat? Because here's the thing. You see, a lot of us who are a part of the church, a lot of us have kind of settled into our boat Peter, remember, is the one disciple who got out of the boat. There were 11 more who were content to sit right there. They didn't get up. They didn't get out. And yes, for a lot of us, when we, we, we face a storm or two, but we look at the church as a kind of pleasure cruise. How many of you have been on a cruise? A, a good number of you. Lucky you guys. Man alive. Uh, uh, Unless you count the good time, too, on Lake Erie, I've never been on a cruise. And that's primarily because I, I think a cruise sounds like a lot of fun, to be honest with you. Endless buffets, entertainment at night, the exotic ports, the great weather, all those kinds of things really appeal to me. The problem is, is my wife, Mary, and she says, what? You say we're going to be on the water in a cramped cabin with a bunch of strangers? That just doesn't appeal to her at all. But the problem is this, a lot of us think that the church is a pleasure cruise and the pastor is the captain or the cruise director and it's his job to make sure that we're entertained, we have plenty to eat, we get some rest and a lot of you get rest when I'm preaching, I see those eyes. <laughs> we hope the music is good. But above all, make sure that we get to our destination safely. That's what we think of the church. David Platt wrote, a, wrote about a ship that was built 70 years ago to be the greatest troop carrier in U.S. naval history. It was called the SS United States. It was designed to carry 15,000 troops faster and farther without having to stop uh, more than any other ship in history. There's a picture of it on the screen, I guess, right now. 
The only thing is, it never got used to carry troops. It was a remarkable ship, so much so that they turned it into a luxurious liner for celebrities and heads of state. It contained, at the time, 600 staterooms, four dining salons, three bars, two theaters, and the comfort of being the world's first fully air-conditioned passenger ship, passenger ship for wealthy patrons who wanted to enjoy that first-class service. It was designed to be a troop carrier. It was designed to have a mission to take troops into battle. But instead, it got turned into a luxury liner for consumers. Now, I guess it's one thing for that to happen to a boat. But can I say it's a bad thing when it happens to a church? It's really bad. Church, we do have a mission. We follow Jesus, and when he tells us it's time to get out of the boat, that's what we're supposed to do. And this is not a pleasure cruise. This is a calling out of every one of us who, in some way, God stirs in our hearts and says, this is how I want to use you. This is what I have for you. Because the world is waiting for the light of the church. Have you ever thought about why God just doesn't whisk us up in the moment that we become saved? The moment we receive Christ, why doesn't he just at that moment take us to heaven? We're promised eternal life. Lord, why don't you just take me right then? And the reason is simple. He wants to use you to invest in someone else's salvation. That's why the church is here. So Peter, God love him, he, he steps out of that boat. And to his amazement, I think, it's working. He's walking toward Jesus. But of course, that's only short-lived. Because what happens? His fear returns, his faith falters. When he takes his eyes off Jesus. Because this is what happens. He, he, he notices the water and he, he sees the waves and he hears the wind and he thinks about the fact that, you know, people aren't supposed to be able to walk on water. And he begins to think about what's, what's really happening. People, people aren't supposed to give up their careers to become missionaries. People aren't supposed to give up their vacations to go on mission trips. People aren't supposed to take their free time and go and minister and visit nursing homes. Uh, people aren't supposed to take their salaries in half so that they can serve or give more to, to a, 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 an opportunity for missions or youth. Churches of one denomination aren't supposed to help another church of another denomination thrive in a different community. You see, when we take our eyes off Jesus, we stop doing those things. And we sink. And so many churches are sinking. But you know, when you're sinking, Peter 
knows what to do. These are just the right words, aren't they? He says, Lord, save me. (laughs) Some of us in this room might be sinking right now. Your faith is faltering. The fear is overwhelming you. Maybe you're online and you're hearing this. But before we drown, let me give you these simple words to cry out. Lord, save me. And what does Jesus do? He does what he always does when he hears an honest, desperate cry for help. Immediately, Jesus reaches out his arm and he takes Peter by the hand and he saves him. Now, Peter's wet. He's disheveled. He's a little shocked. He's shaken. But he's safe in the arms of Jesus. Notice how this story ends. They get back into the boat. Then those who were in the boat, it says, worshipped him. Listen, my friends, when we desire to follow God's call, whatever that looks like, when we decide to get out of the boat and do what God has called us to do, even when we don't get it right all the time, Listen, I'm not in ministry because I get it right all the time. If you know me, you know that to be the truth. But somehow, in the mystery of God's grace, when we take those steps, whatever those steps may be, other people see it, and they come to know him. They see him as he is. I've been reading an interesting book recently called The Titanic's Last Hero. The Titanic's last hero. It's a story of a man named John Harper. John was making uh, the trip on the Titanic, uh, coming across the Atlantic with his young daughter, Nan. Of course, you know what happened. At some point, they hit that iceberg. The ship begins to sink. And as John realizes what is happening, he begins to make a decision about how he is going to conduct himself over these next few hours. He gets his little daughter, Nan, who I think was something like eight or nine years old, onto the boat, prays for her as he watches that boat. And then he realizes, I don't have long to live. What am I going to do with my time here? Over those next at least couple of hours, he uses that time to witness to as many people as he can with this simple question Are you saved? Are you saved? One after another, he looks people in the eye. Are you saved? And he leads a number of people to pray a prayer of salvation in those moments. He prays and prays and prays for people and asks them, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He gives them that scripture over and over again. At one point, he is in the water. He's hanging on to something, floating. Uh, A young man named Jack Stewart comes by. He's a porter from Scotland, Are you saved? Jack Stewart says no. And in a few moments, he just drifts off. Jack Stewart eventually, about a half hour later, drifts back in. They're close together. They can see each other. That same cry, are you saved? No. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And at that moment, Jack Stewart prayed the prayer of salvation And what's interesting to me is 
Jack Stewart was saved. He became a Christian, and the SS Carpathia Pathia, came along and was able to pick him up. But John Harper was not. He died. He drowned. Now, as I think about that story, I can't help but think that Jack Stewart's life began that night because he received Christ. But the truth is, John Hooper, Harper's life also began that night because he was in heaven. Lord, save me. Listen, I don't know what God is calling you to, but is he first? Are you doing what he's called you to do, no matter the cost, no matter the risk? And yes, there are times when the storm will be real. You're going to get wet. You're going to be disheveled. You're going to wonder, Lord, what are you up to? I didn't think I could do this. But when we get serious about that, others worship him too. Father, I just pray for your church right now that we would not be content to put ourselves on a pleasure cruise. The risk is real, but Lord, the urgency of the moment is so important. This world needs Jesus. And so, Lord, I just pray that right now, every person in this room who knows you, who is a part of this family, would wrestle with that question. Lord, what are you calling me to do this year? And that, Lord, they would say yes with boldness, with risk, but also with the assurance, Lord, that when we step out, you're there. And you will always save us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your kindness. And Lord, thank you for your faith in us. We trust you now, Lord, to take us home, to lead us to opportunities, Lord, that we could not imagine. So that, Lord, we are prepared for that moment when we see you face to face. May we hear that, that important word, well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name, amen.